for we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. It is so good to have you with us on this uh, first day of the year. So happy new year. We say that maybe at least once a year on a Sunday, but it is Sunday, first day of the year, the day that our Lord has made. We shall rejoice in what? Be glad in it. And I hope that you are having a glad and blessed day. And if not, I hope that that changes uh, as the day goes on. It truly is great to just be here together. Uh, I do want to mention uh, very quickly, uh, in addition to our prayer request uh, from this morning, please do make sure that you uh, say a very special prayer for Jamie White. Uh, he will be having surgery Thursday on his knee, and he's been on this trip with his family uh, this week. And I, he, I asked him, I said, how are you doing? He goes, I'm alive. And so that kind of summed up kind of how he has felt this week. And uh, I know that he's made great memories, uh, and they've had a good time, but I know he's ready to get some relief. And uh, so he'll come home and pretty much go straight into that this week. So uh, be sure to remember him in your prayers as the week goes on. I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And as you're turning there, I want to introduce you to Davion. Davion is a uh, sixth grader from Michigan. Uh, and Davion is a special young man because uh, Davion faced a challenge in his life one day and decided to step up, uh, meet that challenge, and, and do something good. He decided to step up, meet that challenge, and do something good. When Davion was in fourth grade, uh, Davion lost his dad uh, to COVID, and it was a very challenging time for him, but it, it struck him, and he said, you know what? He said, I want to make sure that I am prepared for moments that if someone is ever around me that they might uh, be in a situation where they're going to lose their life. He said, I, I want to be able to do something about it. So he got on YouTube and started watching videos uh, from first responder classes, from first responder classes. So he started watching all these first aid and first responder videos. And one of the things that he learned to do from these videos on YouTube was the Heimlich maneuver. And one day when he was at school, uh, not this past month, but the de December before, uh, he was in school. Uh, they were at the water fountain one day, and one of the kids came up to the water fountain and kind of stumbled into the circle there, and they had taken off the top of a water bottle lid with their teeth and had that in their mouth and had sucked that water bottle lid down into their throat, and he was choking and he was dying. Well, Davion... Mr. I'm going to make sure that when this moment comes, I'm prepared, grabbed this kid up, did the Heimlich maneuver, and saved this little kid's life. Davion has become a little bit of a local hero in his town. If you, Davion Johnson's his name, if you want to... Uh, if you want to look him up, and uh, there's, there's several news interviews and different things uh, that his local town did with him. He's an honorary paramedic now. He's an honorary police officer and sheriff's deputy in his town. But one of the things that I like about Davion is Davion looked at what was kind of ahead of him, and he kind of lived this life. He said, I may be ordinary, 
But ordinary people become extraordinary when they rise up and meet the challenge that is before them. They rise up and they meet the challenge that is before them. And if you read in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, we, we have this whole chapter about people who did just this. They believed in God, they had a relationship with God, and they used that relationship to put them in a position, to put them at a point in their life that when challenging moments came up, they were not just going to be ordinary. They weren't just going to be church-going Christians. They were going to be active faith-living Christians. And when those challenging moments came up, they became extraordinary. They, 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 turned, into maybe, uh, they turned into something more than they could have ever been by themselves. And we're going to take some time here over the next year, the next year, well, I mean, yeah, really for the whole year, but specifically over the next few months, to look at these individuals, these ordinary people, these ordinary people. And they're not people that we would call ordinary. Because we've been raised to look at them as extraordinary or extraordinary. People like Enoch and Abraham and Noah and all of these people that we're going to talk about. They're not people that we look at as ordinary. Because we've learned about them our whole life and the great things that they did. But they did them because of their faith. And that's really going to be the direction we take over the next year over 2023. We spent 2022 talking about Jesus, laying a foundation, laying a relationship with Him. But then as we're getting ready to come into this year, I ask myself, what do we do with that? What, what, what do we do if we say, hey, the, the song we just sang, I believe. I believe in all these things that Jesus did. But what does that do for us? How should that change our life? How should that affect our life? It should take us from ordinary to extraordinary because it should affect our life in such a way that when challenging moments come, we deal with them in a way that is completely different than the world around us. We're not afraid to rise up and meet the challenge that is before us. And so really as you open up to the book of Hebrews as a whole, the, the message of the book of Hebrews as a whole is I know that these times are anxious, but you need to rise up to the challenges that you face. You've got a bunch of young Christians in this time, people that have only been Christians for 20 or 30 years, and, that, and that's young. I mean, uh, the, the church here at Ninth Avenue has been in existence longer than the church the, 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 in its original form was in existence when Hebrews was written. And, and many of you have been Christians longer than the oldest Christian that was in uh, the Jewish faith at the time that this would have been written to. And so they're, they're, they're struggling. They're like, hey, they're asking themselves this question, is it really worth it? Is it really worth the struggle to stay in this Christian faith, or would I be better benefited to just go back to my Jewish religion, to just go back to where I'm accepted, to just go back to where it's easy, that stuff that I know and that I've always been comfortable with, or do I stay walking toward Jesus? And I believe that that is just where we are in our life in general right now, in our world, as we look around. And as, as we see, we've talked about this last year, as we see the culture change and the culture shift to where we don't live in a true Christian society anymore. We, we, are, we are becoming the minority voice in this country where at one time we were the majority voice in this country. And it's going to be easy to ask ourselves the question, is it worth it? Should I just stay the course or should I just bend here and bend there to make it easier? And the message of Hebrews through and through is stand up. Face the challenge. It is definitely 
worth it. He gives us a couple of ideas to think about as, as you read through this book. And he says there's some ways that you can do the two things that you can do to stand up and be ready for the challenges. He said the first thing is, is don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. He says in Hebrews 3 and verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. What does he say? Fix your thoughts on who? Okay, let's try that again. Fix your thoughts on. One more time. Fix your thoughts on. It still doesn't sound like all of you, but we'll let it go. Whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. But he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted. As I think back to the last few years that we've we've gone through some challenges. Let's not let's not play that down. Let's not water that down. The last two and a half, three years, man, they've not always been easy. They've not always been easy. And and take the 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 COVID challenge aside, we had a lot of political unrest and still have a lot of political unrest in our culture in our in our society well, we see culture wars all around us we see social issues wars all around us it's easy to get discouraged it's easy to get distracted though it's easy to get distracted at the end of the day is there a part of politics that are important yes there's a part of politics that are important but do politics save anybody no, they don't. Are culture wars fought for important reasons? At times, yes. Are social issues important? At times, yes. But those things don't save us. Those things don't get us closer to God in and of themselves. The most important thing that we have to put above everything else is fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then look at all these other things through that lens. But don't let those things take you away from Jesus. Don't let your schedules take you away from Jesus. Don't let your hobbies take you away from Jesus. Don't even let your family take you away from Jesus. Focus your thoughts. Don't get distracted on Jesus Himself. And then I think maybe one of the most important things that he talks about in this book, in this letter, is don't shrink back. Chapter 10, he says, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This phrase, shrink back, really, really grabbed me this week. It really grabbed me this week because I think... I, 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 Sin, you mentioned what David said in class, this idea that you're either in drive, neutral, or going backwards. But I believe in our faith, I believe there's only really two directions. I believe there's forward and backwards. There's forwards and backwards. If we're sitting still, we may be sitting still. We may not think that we're going backwards, but if we're sitting still, we're not trying to do anything. We're just lukewarm. We were talking about that in class this morning. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this. He goes, I would rather you be cold then be lukewarm. I'd rather you be going backwards than just sitting in neutral because, uh, as someone in our class said, because if you're sitting in neutral, if you decide to be lukewarm, the problem is you know what it takes to be on fire. You know what it takes to be moving forward. You just choose not to. You're just sitting there and not giving the effort. Even though you know the benefits of it, you know what comes of it, you know the effort that you know what God wants from you and what He's given you to try to motivate you to do that. And you just say, ah, I'm here, but I'm really not that committed. He goes, I, I don't want that. I don't want you to shrink back. I don't want you to go backwards. And um, 
in the Christian faith, I saw this this week, there is no such thing as defense, only offense. We're always striving to move forward. We're always moving to overcome something. We're always moving to grow in something. We're always moving forward so that we can get to a stronger place in our relationship with God. We have to make sure we don't shrink back. One of the things that that I wrote in our... The opposite of faith is not unbelief. The opposite of faith is inaction. And I believe that that is very true. So we get to uh, our text that we're going to be in for the next several weeks together. Hebrews chapter 11. A chapter that many of you are so familiar with. And and if I were to ask for a definition of faith, probably the majority of you would quote this particular passage as your definition of faith. Because it has been our definition of faith since the moment that the Holy Spirit inspired the Hebrew writer to write these words. So as already already has been read for us, we'll, we'll look at it together and begin to break it down. So we talk first and foremost this morning about kind of the concept of faith. All right? Let's talk about the concept of faith together. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So let's go back and let's begin to break this down. Uh, Some of your Bibles are going to say something different. We'll we'll look at that here in just a second. But it begins with these words. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So I want you to focus on two words, confidence and assurance. And depending on your translation, you're going to have some different words there, okay? Some of your Bibles are going to have different words. The first word, the very top underlined word, is the Greek word, hypostatus. Uh, That's the word that was originally there. And in our English Bibles, it's translated several different ways. But the majority of our translations have substance, assurance, confidence, and hope. And then you have the word here that we have uh, for assurance or or for certainty, uh, evidence, conviction, assurance, and certain. And so... A lot of times I, I, I like to dig a little bit deeper because when you have so many different words, so many different translated words, uh, that tells me from different translations, that tells me that there's something deeper there, that that word is not just, or either of those words are not just easily translated from one thought to the next. Because what these words both are, are they're not so cut and dry. So cut and dry. They're more philosophical, I guess, than they are cut and dry. So we start with this word, hippotatus, uh, hippo, hippost. I can't even pronounce it. But it's this idea of that which lies beneath in everything else. And when I say these are philosophical words, what I mean is, as they try to translate these words, if I were to hold up a crayon this morning, an orange crayon, and go, this crayon is orange, and on the on the thing, it said orange. We could know this is orange, right? And there are some words from, from the original language into our English language that translate that easily. But then if you were to have gone out the other night and looked at the sun, there was a beautiful sunset a couple of nights ago, and looked up at the sky and go, the sunset is orange. How many different shades of orange would there have been in that sunset? There was a lot, right? It just wasn't orange like the crayon. It was orange, but there was a lot of depth to that orange. And these two words both have that idea. This first word, though, means that which lies beneath everything else. Or a simpler way to think about it is, it is our motivation. 
Okay, it is our motivation. You take Davion, the idea for this word here is very much played out that he lost somebody. Okay, he lost somebody. He wanted to prepare himself so that if he was ever in a situation that someone looked like they could be lost again, he was going to be prepared. He was going to be motivated to be ready for that moment. And that's really what this idea is, is that our relationship with Christ lies beneath every decision that we make. It is that thing that motivates us, that pushes us, that, that, that focuses us in this direction. And so I know, that, I know that no matter what I'm going to do, no matter where I am, no matter what's going on, I know that the core of all of that is Jesus. He's the substance, as, as the King James translates it there. He's the substance of everything I do. He's my reasoning. He's my motivation. He's what I'm trying to accomplish. He's the reason I'm trying to accomplish all of those things. And so if your motivation is different than that of Jesus, then that means your faith is not really where it needs to be. If your motivation in life is to be more comfortable, if your motivation in life is to make more money, if your motivation in life is to have this thing or that thing, and you're not ultimately motivated by Jesus, if that's not the underlying factor of everything about your life, then your faith is not the faith that God's calling you to have. He's saying that it is the substance. Your relationship with Him is the substance of everything that you do. So that's the first word here, okay? He's the substance, he's the assurance, he's the confidence, he is the hope. The second word here is actually kind of a legal term. It is the evidence for all things, should be all things in truthfulness. So really, it, it, actually, it actually means to point out fault, Okay, it actually means to point out fault in its literal kind of translation. But what it means in context here, what it means in context is that you point out a reality so clearly that someone else sees it. So I'm living my life with Jesus as my motivation. That's the substance. And the evidence that Jesus is my motivation is everything else that I do. That I'm living it out for Jesus. And that is so clear to everyone else that there's no way that they could ever question what my motivation is. That's why I really love the way the King James translates this above all the other translations. Because it says it is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And if you go back, I'll have to back up uh, just a few slides here. If, if you back up, you see that. In this verse, he says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What he's saying is you see all this stuff around you. You see these pews. You see this carpet. You see these lights. You even see the people that are sitting beside you and around you this morning. What your faith does is it helps you realize that even though you see and can touch these things, you also understand that there is a God behind it that creates these things out of that which is not visible. That He is in control and in charge of all of these things. And then faith, the way you live your life, we've studied about Jesus. Jesus is, is who I'm committed to. So as I'm committed to that, and th that is my motivation, then everybody around me can, can see that. 
they know that there is substance to that which I follow. They know that there is something greater at play than just me wanting what I want. So he says, that's what faith is. It's our motivation, and it shows everybody else around us that I believe that. And so that brings us to kind of the next, the next verse here. The first, I guess you could say in, in this, he gives us the, this is the definition, but now how is that definition lived out? And that's what the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 does. It gives us our cues, if you will, of, of living this life. If I'm going to live by faith, this is what it looks like when I face these challenging moments. And this is what this faith does for me. So, so look at the rest of this together. In verse 4 it says, But uh, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So, if we go back and think about this story, for those of you that know it, you know it. And for those of you that don't, let me share it to you very quickly. At the very beginning of, of kind of our introduction of these two guys, we see them bringing things to God as, as offerings, as burnt offerings. And you have Abel coming with a meat offering, a blood offering, if you will, and you have Cain coming with uh, the vegetables that he had raised. And they bring these before God, and God is more pleased with the offering that, that Abel brings. Now, from here looking backwards, from here looking backwards into that moment, from our culture to that moment, sometimes it might be easy to be like, well, but what was the big deal, right? As long as Cain brought his best, because that's, that's, that's kind of where our world is today. Our world is, well, hey, you just do you. Do you the best you can. But here we have a moment where they very well might have bought, brought, the, both of them might have brought the best of what they had. But it still, there was something about Abel's offering that, that God found more pleasing. I think it comes to this idea, that Abel understood that he was a sinner in need of forgiveness, and Cain did not. And you may, well, what, is, what does that have to do with, with anything that he's talking about here in our faith? Well, for those that were reading this for the very first time, for those that were coming out of the Jewish faith, for those Hebrews, if you will, those Israelite Christians, they would have understood something. They would have understood something very important. They would have understood, I've gotten all off my, they would have understood this idea from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. When they read about sacrifices, their mind would have gone here. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. When they heard the thought of sacrifices coming to God, I'm offering this, you're offering that, they would have understood a bigger context. They would have understood that to come before God, to come before God and bring something, to bring an offering before God, the main reason, the biggest reason that you ever are going to do that is because you need atonement or forgiveness from sin. And there's only one way in which you get that atonement. There's only one way in which you get that forgiveness, and that is through the lifeblood of another person or thing. Uh, Hebrews 9 goes on and says the same thing. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, here's the challenge. Okay, here's the challenge that we still face today. That sin is so serious that something or someone has to die 
for every sin. Let that just sink in for just a moment. That sin is so serious that something or someone has to die for every sin. Every lie you tell. Every lie you tell to try to keep the peace in your family. It's still a lie, right? It's still a sin. Someone has to die for that. Every time you pick up your phone and you go somewhere you shouldn't, you find something on TikTok you shouldn't, you find something on Facebook you shouldn't, you, find, you send something to someone that you shouldn't, okay? We're not going to get into a lot of details there, but let's, let's just be adults and realize we understand what sin is and what these phones can do. Every time you sin with this device, someone has to die for that. Someone has to die for that. Every sin, sin is a serious problem, and sin is a serious challenge in our life. And we have to face it every day. We have to figure out a way to overcome it every day. Now, for us as children of God, what's the great thing for us? The great thing for us is our sin has already been paid for. Amen? Our sin has already been paid for. Jesus has died on the cross. He has shed His blood for us so that when we become His child, He is now, He's taken on the punishment for all of those things. And sometimes it's easy to take that for granted because that's just maybe been a part of my life for so long. But I want you to understand that even when you sin today, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, that the cost is still the same. Your sin still put Jesus on the cross. It is that serious. But how do we face that challenge in faith and overcome it on a daily basis? Okay, I've been forgiven of it, all right, I, and I'm, but, but I still have to face it, and I still have to deal with it in our lives. Well, let's talk about four things real quick, real quick, that as I go into this new year, that I can make a part of my life as I face this challenge of sin, how my faith can help me overcome it. The first thing is to be washed. The first thing is to be washed. The first thing that Jesus calls us to do in our faith is to be baptized. He says it um, at the end of the Gospels. He talks about it in the book of Acts. Romans talks about it in such a powerful and clear way. It is sprinkled or scattered all throughout Scripture that for us to be cleansed of this sin for the very first time, for us to come into contact with that blood that is taken our, that can take our sins away is we come into contact with that blood through the waters of baptism. Peter says it is this water or this baptism that now saves you. He said it's not the washing of the dirt, but it's the pledge of a good conscience. It's telling God, I'm here with you. I'm standing for you. You are my God. You are the sinner. You are my motivation from here on out. And he says, for that commitment, I'm going to forgive you of these things and put you in a situation that as you walk in the light, I'm going to continue to forgive you of these things. So the first way we rise up to this challenge on this new year, on this first day of the year, if you've never been washed and you're still dealing with this sin problem in your life, you're dealing with it in the wrong way. You can never overcome it. You're just going to continue to put Jesus on the cross. But allow the cross to be your answer. Be washed in the waters of baptism and have that sin washed away. But after you've done that, the next thing that I want to challenge you to do is to commit yourself to prayer. To commit yourself to prayer. And in that prayer in particular, commit yourself to confession with God. That when your challenging sin comes up, when that moment of sin is right there in front of you, for starters, ask for strength. But inevitably, we're going to fall. We're never going to be perfect. 
we're going to give in to our sin, into our temptation, and it's going to become sin. So in those moments, commit yourself to a life of confession prayer. Don't try to hide it from God. God knows. You're not going to hide anything from Him. God knows that it's happening. God knows when it's happening. He knows before it's going to happen. But in that moment, don't allow your pride to get the best of you. Talk to Him about it. Ask Him to forgive you for that. Let him take that away from you once again so you don't have to carry that burden with you. You don't have to carry that baggage with you. Commit yourself to prayer. Fortify your relation with the church. Fortify your relations with the church. I want you to know, and I use church in a very, a very umbrella term right here, but church matters. Amen? It matters. Your church family matters. They're, they're important. This should be the most important thing. No matter what else is going on, this place, these people should be some of, if not the most important people in your life. Giving to your church, it matters. Studying with your church matters. Worshiping with your church. Praying with your church. Fellowshipping with your church. Those things matter. And you're not going to be effective in facing the challenges that Satan's going to throw at you if you choose to face them alone. Because God's created us to need each other. He's created us to live in community with one another. And if I'm going into battle, if I'm going into battle, I I know that I'm going to be able to face that battle better with the army with me than if I go in all alone. Fortify, make these relations, make this place, make this time non-negotiable for you. No matter what's going on, no matter how busy you might get, make sure that you're plugged in to this church, to God's church, to your church family. One of the things that I love, one of the things that I love right now, and and I'm going to jump on several, I don't know how many are on this morning, but one of the greatest blessings to me that's really kind of come up over the last couple of years through the COVID challenge is our online worship. And it, it really kept us together during that time, somewhat plugged in as much as we could when we were all separate. But what I, what I love about it is, is when, when I was out of town a few weeks ago, it was so nice for me to turn this device on, plug into our worship. And, and even though I was not here physically, as Paul talks about, I was here in spirit. I was still singing with you. I was still listening to the things that were being prayed. I, I, I was still uh, uh, in, in, in deep kind of devotion thought during that moment of communion. Uh, I still was able to listen to the words that were preached that Sunday. I was still part of this church family. And I know that there's several this morning that aren't able to be here with us. And they're, and they're watching right now. They're watching right now. There's several of our church members that are out of pocket and out of town and doing different things right now, but they're with us in spirit this morning. They're making it a priority to still plug in to the family in the most efficient way that they can. They're fortifying those relationships. Your church, family, this dynamic is not one hour and done. It's not two hours and done. Not three hours and done or four hours. We have four hours set aside. It's not four and done. Now, if you're not committing those four hours, find, find, find a way to commit four before you try to commit a bunch of other that you can't really live up to. But it's more than that. So fortify those relationships. And then the last thing, once you've done that, make discipleship your main thing. 
Make discipleship your main thing. Once, once you're committed to a life of prayer, once you've been washed, you're committed, you fortified those relationships, then reach out to someone else and bring them along with you. That is God's number one plan of how to save the world. It's discipleship. It's not, again, a kind of a number, it's not church per se. It's not just going to worship. That's not, this hour is not what Jesus died for. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. It's all wrapped up in discipleship. This is part of discipleship. Studying with someone else, praying with someone else, sharing your faith with someone else. That is all discipleship. That is God's plan. He said for us to go not make Christians, even though that's what we call ourselves, but he said go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all things that I have commanded. Make bringing other people to Jesus, helping other people getting closer to Jesus, your main priority in the next year. Because as you do that, as you have those people that you're, you're discipling and you're bringing along, when you face your challenge, you've also created that support system that you can lean into, fall into, and they will help you stand as you face that challenge. And vice versa, as they face that challenge, you're going to know, and you're going to be there with them, and you're going to walk that way and in that life with them. We're not always going to be perfect in it. Sometimes we're going to drop the ball. But if we, com- if we all commit ourselves to it, then we'll be able to live this in the most effective way possible. So faith, an extraordinary faith, but faith in our life right now is going to be about stepping up to the challenge. Let's close with a word of prayer this morning. God, we thank you so much for the time that we've had to spend with each other today. We thank you for the chance to just lift our voices, to gather around your table, to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God, we thank you so much for Jesus, and we pray that we make a commitment today to live our life with Jesus as our motivation behind everything, behind our relationships, behind our jobs, behind our hobbies. Just just let him be the undercurrent through everything in our life, that everything comes back to him, and then allow those around us to just see that in such a powerful way. Help us when we face sin, the challenge of sin in our life. Help us to understand just the seriousness of it, God. Help us to realize that Jesus took that cost that should be ours and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, allowed himself to suffer, to experience the pain, the loneliness of that death, God, so that I wouldn't have to pay anything for my sin. And I appreciate that and grateful for that and help all of us to be understanding and grateful of that this morning. God, I pray that I know that there are people here this morning that have not been washed. And I pray that you convict them, allow your spirit to move in them as it did in the book of Acts. Help them to understand what they need to do today to take their first true step in a faith relationship with you, to be baptized and have those sins forgiven so they can walk in that new life. God, be with those that have maybe struggled in their faith, that need to deepen and reconnect in their relationships with you and your children and your family. Help them to have deeper conversation with you and with each other. Just thank you for this day, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed.
Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man.